himself, who's been a legalist, uh, controlling, manipulative person. By God's grace, I am changing. And it's God's Word. It's just that simple. It's God's Word. Again and again, God's Word in and through us. That's what impacts us. And whenever I hear somebody come up with ideas or teaching or preaching something, I'm sitting there and saying, is this God's Word? Is this consistent with all of Scripture? And I'm asking that. And you need to do the same. When I'm preaching this morning, you need to be asking, God, is this your Word? And you need to examine Scripture. And where it's not, don't get up and yell that I'm wrong. But do talk to me, and I will repent um, if we agree that that's the case. So we each are responsible to he- for what we believe, and as elders we're responsible for what is taught and, and what is brought into the church. That's a very serious, very serious responsibility. And so uh, Lynn and I are thrilled to spend half our time in Africa where we have been invited into that circle to discern what is God's will for uh, a much larger body than this. Enough of that. So, today we talk about discipleship. What does it mean? And uh, I have, the, the, don't go to the next slide yet, but the next slide gives, gives a point, and we're going to spend the majority of our time on that point. There's ten points that I have to, what does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, but the Point number 2 to 10, all are, are, we're just going to go through them like this, like bullets, and you can research them and see what it means. But it's like, if you don't get number 1, then nothing else will make sense. <clears throat> and everything has to be viewed through number 1. So discipleship, what does it mean? First of all, it means daily, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And picking up your cross, sometimes when people talk about Lynn being married to me, she says, it's just my cross to bear. <laughs> That's not what it means, okay? <laughs> or, <clears throat> excuse me, we have difficulties or struggles, we say, That's just our cross to bear. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. You need to understand what it means. Jesus Christ shows us what it means. God incarnate came to earth as a human being and lived as a human being. And his cross was death. It meant dying. Absolutely a brutal, ruthless death. And when the scripture says, pick up your cross daily and follow me, And if it means something flippant like, oh, I'm married to Dave, that's not nearly severe enough. Because Christ was brutally wounded and beaten for us. And by God's grace, I hope we understand that a little better. This is Baptism Sunday. The amazing thing to me, communion, baptism Sunday, and weddings scream about who we are and about who Christ is. And I'm just thrilled when those events happen. My favorite service All time is Baptism Sunday. Number one favorite service. Uh, It just, we're in God's face. God's face is, He's with us about what it means to die. Father, if your spirit does not come and move in me and through me, then we're not going to get what you want to say. But if you do and we have ears to hear, then we will hear from you. That is my prayer and my desire. Help us now, Lord. Anytime, anywhere, at any cost to do anything that Christ asks us to do. Anytime, anywhere, at any cost to do anything that Christ asks us to do. That to me is a a disciple of Jesus Christ. I also believe that, see the question is often asked is, is everybody a disciple? Well, everybody can be a disciple and should be a disciple, but not everybody is a disciple. And we get so caught up with, <clears throat> are only disciples going to be in heaven or not? And we want to decide those things. One thing that I have found very life-giving and peaceful for me about who is in heaven and who is not 
is to realize that I'm not the one who decides. I don't have a checklist <clears throat> that I can check off and say, you go to Christ. You go to, to heaven. But I know the one who decides is the one who died for us. <clears throat> he decides. So am I saved? He decides. Can I lose my salvation? He decides. That's the beginning and the end of it for me. Jesus decides all these things. So we can talk about those things and debate them, but just so you know, I'm going to end up with, it's ultimately it's Jesus who decides. And I'm happy with that. So discipleship, what does it mean? <clears throat> Point one. It means, first of all, that we have... Point one. Thank you. It means that we have a clear identity as a mature son or daughter of God. The kind of talk about being a disciple is not stuff you talk to children about. Paul says, why are you now still requiring the little milk and, and when you should be having heavy-duty words? <clears throat> or Hebrews, don't you understand that as children of God, God disciplines and trains us? And Paul says, you have not yet endured a whole lot of pain. <clears throat> I know this because you're still alive. Once you're dead, then we'll talk about what you've really endured. So this is not childish talk. This is not children talking. This is what does it mean to be a disciple. And Paul says to the Corinthians, grow up, you guys. You're bickering and haggling over everything else. When are you going to grow up? Boy, I love it when he talks that way. <clears throat> Christ has a clear identity. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded them. There's a little asterisk beside those words, because apparently in the Greek, which I don't know, it, those are present, as in Jesus gets up from supper and lays aside his garments. That's why there's a little asterisk, in case you're wondering. It's from the New American Standard Bible. Okay, leave the slide here for quite a while. Now we need to understand something. Jesus is not only our example... But he is our betrothed husband. He has a human identity, and his human identity has a beginning and an end. And Jesus laid aside his godly eternal power and authority to come to live as a human being. Just like you and I have a birthday, we will have a death day. Jesus had a birthday, and Jesus the man had a death day day. But those of us who are born again in Christ, we have a birthday that's physical, and we have a birthday that's spiritual. And we have a death day that's physical, but we have no death day that's spiritual or eternal. We are now living eternal life. It's already begun. We're just stuck here for a while, but we are living eternal life. We need to understand who we are and who Christ is and, and, and His purposes in us. So Christ has a human identity and a godly identity. He was known by people as a Jew because He was a Jew. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He had a mom and a dad. And he had a community. And we don't, we don't hear much about Him, <clears throat> excuse me, as a child, the only thing we know about him as a child, when he was living from his identity as a Jewish boy, this child goes to the temple. And three days later, mom and dad come and say, hey, what are you doing? We've been looking everywhere for you. What's up with that? And Jesus says, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. And he submits to his parents. There we have Jesus Christ, he was a kid at one time, and the kids played with him, and they didn't know him as God. They just knew him as Jesus. He, he couldn't score super goals or nothing. He was just Jesus. It, it's that simple. And, but because the community is small and people talk, the parents and the kids, they would have heard conversation about there being some debate about who his dad was. <clears throat> it wasn't clear. 
Some of them said, well, his mom's got this crazy story about the God coming over her in the form of a spirit and conceiving him. But like Jonathan Tyler said at Christmas time, then it turns into a, a mo- kind of movie that I can't watch. <laughs> but the people knew him as the Jewish boy. He worked with his dad as a carpenter. Carpentry was not an honored occupation. It was a poor guy. He came from a poor town, from a poor place. He was not well educated, as education formally would be called. Uh, He would be educated the way all the other Jewish boys would be, but didn't have a BA or a master's or a PhD in anything. He was not married, and from their culture would be called a boy. In Rwanda, when I preach this, they call you a boy until you're married. You can be 35 years old, they call you a boy. So when I say over there, Jesus was never a man, they all get it. And I says, was Jesus really never a man? And then they go, oh, oops, we have a problem. Yeah, we do. Jesus was fully a man, absolutely, completely a man. You don't have to be married to be a man. You don't have to be married to be a woman. You're in the image of God before you're married. We need to understand that. But it's about identity. I worked for a lot of years for a company, and people thought that I was a Dodge guy. Identity. Oh, you're a Dodge guy. Then I bought a Ford, and they said, Whoa, what are you doing, Dave? What are you you doing? I thought you were a Dodge guy. I was a Ford guy. Now, by God's grace, we bought a Toyota. Dave, what are you doing? I thought you were a Dodge guy. I thought you were a, a Ford guy. Identity. We see identity all over the place. Jesus entered the world from an identity as a Jewish boy. Not well known, not particularly good looking, and that's who he was. Because he had set aside his, he, the power and authority of the eternal Son of God, but he was always the Son of God. And he wants to show us what it means when Scripture says, you and I are sons and daughters of God. He came and lived as a human being, as a son of God the Father, but as a human being, to show us this is what it looks like. Jesus came, the church is the bride of Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, the bride of Christ rejected the Father. Rejected the Father. It's, you know, like when your son wants to marry somebody and the bride says, I'll marry you, but your family, forget it. No, thank you. Not happening. Well, you know there's problems. There's problems coming. There's problems already there. Well, that was kind of the case in heaven. Here's Jesus, and this is his bride, and the bride has rejected him. Rejected the father. Rejected the father. So the father and the son agree. He's going to go and woo the bride, but also he's going to become part of the bride. He's going to live as a human being and show people what it means to be submitted to his heavenly father. It's a beautiful picture. And so, they only knew him as Jesus from Jerusalem, this guy. And then what happens is that he gets baptized. And at his baptism, which is, today is Baptism Sunday, and people will be put immersed in the water, and it represents death. And when you come out of the water and the Spirit is on you, it represents life. You have a new identity Completely different. And that's what we're going to witness at the baptism time. We need to understand when we got baptized, our old identity, our character died. And in Christ, we're raised up. And when Christ gets baptized, before he goes, he's Jesus, not the Messiah, but Jesus from Nazareth, whose mom is there and whose whose dad, they debate about who he is, and he's this carpenter guy, and people got his life figured out for him. Just like we got young men and women, and we figure out their lives for him. You should do this, you should do this, you do this. It was the same thing, because he was a normal guy. When he comes out of the water, something happens. The voice from heaven confirms that this is my son, God the Father's son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit rests on him in the form of a dove. He never was without the Holy Spirit, but rests on him in the form of a dove, 
and so people can see and know this is who it is. He comes out of the water and he no longer engages the world as Jesus the Jew. It's profound. So the first thing Satan does is he wants to rob Jesus of his identity as son of God. And that's the issue in the, in the, in the desert with the temptation. Who, who do you think you are? Because now Jesus is engaging the world from his identity as son of God. As having no beginning or no end. But coming now for a period to live as a man. And that identity is what Satan wants to destroy. He doesn't care if he's a Jew. Satan doesn't care if you're white. Doesn't care if you're whatever you call, we call ourselves. Nationality, skin color. He doesn't care. But if we say anything, anytime, anywhere all out for Jesus, now he cares. If you're a Muslim person in a Muslim community, you can go and study and do whatever you want to do. Or Hindu, but don't get baptized. Because the day you get baptized, you're dead to the family. I witnessed a baptism service in India one time, and the people standing there says, this fellow baptized his family today is having a funeral because they have declared him to be dead. It's not a small deal. A lot of people, some people say, well, I'm saved. What does it matter if I get baptized or not? Funny thing that the demonic forces in the demonic world thinks it's a big deal. Whether or not we get baptized. So here we have Christ who comes. And our identity when we come up out of the water is that we are now Christ's. We belong to him forever. We no longer enter the world from the identity as, as whatever. And there's an exclusiveness. We're, we forsake all others and we cleave only to Jesus Christ. Just like at a wedding. And the issue the Jews had is they wanted a Jewish Messiah who would establish their earthly government, their earthly kingdom. And it was sounding like he was kind of treating Gentiles like people. And they didn't like that. Then I got one bit. And so Jesus came because the bride of Christ doesn't have a skin color, doesn't have a gender, doesn't have a nationality, has the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. And so Satan wants to destroy that. And that is why we wrestle and we struggle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and forces of evil. What time does the service end? I got time yet? I'm not finished, am I? Tell me I'm not finished. Okay, so when we're children of God, what happens in my, my upbringing, as soon as you were saved, okay, now you're a Christian, then we got, I got handed a list of do's and don'ts. This is how you behave as a Christian. Don't behave that way. Do this, don't do that. There was no talk of identity. My identity, well, it, it's Mennonite. My heritage goes back to Friesland, which is the Netherlands, Ukraine, Germany, that area. My ancestors spoke Low German, which is a dialect. So, so an ethnic group, by definition, has a specific place, a specific way of doing culture, and a specific language. That's me. I have an ethnic identity. And so... When we come here and, and you listen to me, you want, is this the Mennonite talking? And so then you don't know. Is, this the, 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 is that who's talking? Because what I, when Lynn and I were going to get married, my family all gathered together and the men were under the tree talking low German and the women were over there preparing dinner in low German and the children were off playing. And then the men invited me over and they informed me that our marriage wasn't going to work. This is a bad idea. You see, because Lynn was not Mennonite. Lynn did not know Low German. Lynn was not from our ethnic group. She doesn't fit. She doesn't belong. How is she going to fit in the family? She doesn't know how to cook our food. We have a problem. So then... My mom came, and of course, women don't tell men what to do, 
or correct their thinking in my experience of life and upbringing and culture. My mom discovered what they were talking about and she came and told them something. She says, you need to understand something here. That the day Dave and Lynn get married, I don't gain a daughter-in-law, I gain a daughter. She is not my daughter-in-law, she is my daughter, as though I had birthed her. That's who she is. And if any of you here have a problem with that, you talk to me, she says. (laughs) Women don't talk to men that way in my culture when I was growing up. Our family heritage is from low heritage, low German. It's not high German. High German is educated aristocrat. It's low German. In the, in the definition of it, it tells you what it is. My wife is from Scottish descent. Her maiden name is Campbell. From Scotland, you can trace it back to the 1200s. Very high class people comes from a, a, a line of aristocracy and money and power and influence and power. Power, I said that twice. They have a lot of power. So, and very often, again, in Rwanda, people ask me, how is it that you poor guy from the farm, from the country, that her father would accept you marrying her from the city, from position, etc.? How is that possible? I said, well, her dad wondered whether or not it would work and so he asked me two questions one do you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and all your might yes he says do you love my daughter in the same way yes then you can get married and that's a picture of what God is saying to us and Jesus said all your laws and everything you have are wrapped up in this do you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and then love your neighbors yourself. That's it. It's that simple. So I, I can see in our history that God had us go through that so that we could tell the story today. But this is how God sees us, not as from our ethnicity, not from our skin color, not from our socioeconomic, nothing. We're his children. So if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, And your name is written in the book of life. You're his child. If you struggle with those things and have not been baptized, I might suggest that the reason is because you haven't been baptized. That's a good starting point. And then we go from there. To learn who you are. It's discovering who you are. And just like our kids who who are born, our kids sometimes, like when I was a kid and I would behave in certain ways and I would say, Dave, you're a Kaler. Don't forget that. Kalers don't do that. You see, and your families become known by things you do and don't do. And the parents and grandparents will tell you, don't do that because you're a Schultz, a Friesen, a Schrader, a McIntyre, a McDonald, a McDougal, whatever. Our family doesn't do that. So there's an identity that's tied to what we do. I get that. There's an identity tied to being a Christian. The problem we have is that we can't behave like a Christian unless we are a Christian. Because it takes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to empower us and live in us and connect in us and through us to other people. We can't do it. And it's God's gift and grace that we can't. Because we're so full of ourselves and proud that... We're self-righteous. Paul says, would that, you know, you guys are super apostles. Would that I could be a super apostle. And, and Paul is sarcastic, borderline mocking people who say they're really great and special. And John, Jonathan shared the debate about who's greatest among us. This is an old, old news. What does it mean to be a disciple? Okay, the second point, and now as we go through this a little quicker. A disciple comes to God like a small child is not a small child. It does not think in childish ways. See, the childish thinking is, oh, I've been hurt again. Will somebody, oh, somebody's not talking nice to me. Somebody's not giving me credit for what I'm doing. Uh, we get this whiny Christians. 
that are not that are that are thinking in childish ways. It's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about like a child. So I say to you, unless you become converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is this like children? Well, uh, we were at the Nevada, and I was preaching this, and, and all the kids were sitting there, and there was a about nine-year-old boy there, and I says, it's like this. So I invited the nine-year-old boy up, and I asked him the question. I says, if I say to you that in a week we're leaving for Canada, and we want you to come with us, what would you say to me? He says, I'm gone. I'm with you. It was brilliant. I says, you're not asking me about travel visas. You're not asking me about money. You're not asking me about anything. You're just saying, I'm with you. You see, that's a child. Unless you come to me like a child. God asks you to do something. How's this going to work? What are we going to do? We've got to make this all happen. Your father is asking you to do something. Years ago, I was asked by a, a businessman to start a store someplace. Did I go to him and say, do you, are you sure you got enough money for that? Where's the money going to come from? Where's this going to come? How's this going to happen? How's that going to happen? If I talked that way, do you think I, I would have stayed in his employ? But with God, we do that. Because we don't come as a child. Whoever then humbles himself as a child. Don't promote yourself. Don't say you're great and wonderful, but humble yourself. You're, I'm a child. Child comes and says, can you tie my shoes? Why? I can't do it. You say, yes, you can. But the child humbles himself. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Humbles himself. Over and over again. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And, you know, Jesus was there. He was going to preach. The children came to sit with him. And the, the mucky mucks, you know, the official people, they tried to shoo him away because we all know kids should be in the other room. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he invites the child to come and sit with him. And he tells the child stories and blesses them. The way I read the story is after he's done blessing the children is when the adults now think, okay, now we'll get rid of the children. And now we'll get down to business with Jesus. And after he's done blessing the children, Jesus gets up and walks out. And the, the official adults and everybody sit, sitting there going, look, what's going on, Jesus? Come on. What about us? Jesus seemingly doesn't care about things we care about. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever, let me just, very often when we have decisions to make and, and we ask God to speak to us and we ask for prophetic words, it's not uncommon that children will have prophetic words from the Lord. We don't have a clue. They will. They will. And, and we ignore them to our own peril. We're not putting them up as a prophet. We're just all praying together. Then asking the kids, did you hear or see anything? You'd be amazed how often you're going to get something right there. Right there. Don't elevate them. Don't say you're going to be a prophet. No, 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 no. This is just normal life in the family of God. Because our Father in Heaven sees the children as His children and us as His children. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Sometimes maybe we're working with trying to disciple children and advance children, and sometimes there's forces and powers that try to stop it or try to rob something or take away from something. And sometimes we who are wanting to disciple the children might get all agitated and upset and want to do something to make it stop. And then the Lord will pop, might pop this verse into our mind and say, just so you know, if you're actually making disciples of the children and you're coming to me like a child, this is what I think of the people who try to stop that. And then when that settles in, then you'll pray for mercy for the people that before you were cursing because you understand how severe it is to come against God. So when a child feels sick, where do they go? Mom, I don't feel so good. Hmm? If somebody's hurt, where do they go? Oh, here, I'll kiss it better. What is that? Kiss it better. Huh? I'll kiss it better. There, I kissed it. Now you're okay? Yeah, now I'm okay. 
I think sometimes we need to go to our father and ask him to kiss it better. Where we're hurt. Maybe we're hungry. Where do we go when we're hungry? Do we go with scourge for food? Scrunch for food? Go to our parents. Thirsty, tired, lonely. Want to go someplace or do something. When our grandkids come down, it just, the Holy Spirit spoke to me through our grandkids. Because they ever say, Grandpa, isn't that a beautiful sound? Grandpa, can I have something to drink? Sure. What would you like? What can I have? Well, you can have anything. Okay, you got, you got Coke in the fridge, you got milk, you got juice, you got water. If you could have anything, what would you have? Other times I'll say, no, it's milk, or no, it's water. Other times I might say, no, we're going to have a supper in a few minutes, no, whatever. But they ask. They don't go take, they ask. Grandpa, what are we going to do today? Grandpa, where are we going to go? Grandpa, can we go play ball? It's like they don't do anything without asking. That's because I'm the grandparent. But James tells us, why do you say, I'm going to go here and do this, I'm going to go there and do that? You need to say, Lord willing, we will do this. Lord willing, we will do that. We come to him like a child. But we forget. I go to God and ask for what he wants me to do and how he wants me to do it, and I got all the plan worked out, and then I leave him and the Holy Spirit over there, and then I go and try and do it. Mm-mm-mm. Not going to work. So a disciple is one who comes to God like a small child. And that's a decision we need to make daily to deny ourselves and come like a small child. Next we have a disciple is someone who comes in whom the the word of God is alive. The next, thank you. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. There's a lot of us that have things in our past that are not that good. I want to say all of us, have, but I'm not going to. So, there's a lot of us that have things in our past that are, not, that are not that good. Things that we have done or things that have been done to us. And if we're, if we're coming from our identity as those abused children or those neglected children... We're entering the world from that identity. We are in big trouble. But if we speak the truth of our past, and we bring it to Christ, and he says, okay, let me take that. Let me take that. You're not meant to carry that burden. This is not yours to carry. You need to give this to me. I will carry it for you. You see, but if we deny it, and pretend we're okay, we're not okay. So me, for example, I used to laugh when there was nothing funny. Why would I laugh? Well, to lighten the moment. It was difficult. I used to cry when there was nothing to cry about. Why would I cry? Because it was saying, please back off, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm hurting? I'm this broken person. And I would do it in business in different places. And then somebody called me on it and said, Dave, why are you laughing? There's nothing funny. Uh Uh-oh. Or why are you crying? There's nothing to cry about. Or I would get angry when there's nothing to get angry about. My reaction to the situation was way out of proportion to the situation. It's because I have a past. And I have lies that I believe. And I'm acting out of those lies. And if you come close to one of those lies, then I'm going to freak out because I've got to protect that lie. Problem is I don't know what the lie is. So if I think whatever situation is, is me dealing with a lie, that's like pruning a tree. And we say, I'm going to cut it off here, and the tree says, aha, I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get deeper rooted. But by God's grace, we don't need to do this life alone. We have other people around us. We have, I think, most of us need three, at least three things to become healthy. We need a good friend who listens to us. We need a good pastor. And we need a good counselor. And some people sometimes think, well, I'm the, the friend, the pastor, and the counselor, all three. No. No. Not happening. You want to get healthier and deal with the things from the past. I think those are the th- And we've been blessed here. We've got a lot of great Christian counselors around here to get into that. 
in Rwanda, I find it interesting. Nobody's come up to me yet and says, I'm a perpetrator. I killed people. Everybody's a victim. The Apostle Paul, after he comes to Christ, he says, this is who I have been. When I came to you from my identity as a Jewish Pharisee, I asked the government for lists of names, went into the houses, dragged out the families and killed them. But I met Jesus and that person died, was buried in the baptism tank, and what rose up was now a son of God. And I no longer enter this world and engage you as that Pharisee. I engage you as the redeemed son of God. And he would remind them of what he had done. I'm convinced there's people who didn't accept Christ because they couldn't forgive him. They couldn't get over that, that he killed their family. And he says, that's not who I am anymore. But I don't deny my past. But my past is redeemed. I am now born again. I have a different skin color. I am different DNA. I'm part of a people group I was not part of before. I tried for years to hide the past, to cover it. Then one day somebody asked me, tell me about your dad. Tell me some good things and some bad things. And I would never say anything bad about my dad, ever, ever, ever. They said, well, it must be fantastic to have a super... You must have had Jesus as your dad. Did he do nothing ever wrong? Well, I, I, I couldn't dare say anything wrong about my dad because the day I did the world would collapse. I'd formulated this lie in my mind about my childhood. And if somebody would put a chink in it, everything would collapse. My whole identity would fall apart. And it did. I fell down and I wept like a little idiot. Spent a lot of time weeping. A lot of things needed to be wept over. I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not him anymore. I'm a redeemed son of God, becoming mature in Christ. Okay, so a disciple is someone in whose God's word, God's word is alive and active. Everything we think and believe, we examine with scripture, and we say, is this consistent? Oh, I believe I can't, if I start anything, it's better that I don't try because I'll fail. There's a lie that, that I incorporated into my life as a, as a young, as a young teenager. It's better to not try because you won't succeed. Huh. So then I, I, I start something in business and I'm working in horror of horrors. Everything's going well. This is going really, really well. But what about this? Better you don't try because you won't succeed. So I sabotage what I'm doing. So it fails and I find somebody else to blame for it because I'm a victim. That's what victims do. We blame other people for our circumstances situation. So my marriage is going good. Oh, that can't be. I can't have a good marriage. So I sabotage my marriage. I have a good relationship with my son, so that can't be. So I sabotage that. Why? Because I believe a lie. A vow I made as a young, young teenager. And when I discover what the lie is and I replace it with the truth of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit, and I say, yeah, that's who I've been, and I understand that. That's not me anymore. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not an orphan. I'm a son of God. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is in me. And Jesus Christ, after he rose from the baptism, he engaged the world as son of God. Then he was beaten and bruised for all the transgressions against mankind. Because he was part of representing this people, this bride of Christ, that has done so much bad stuff. So much killing and abusing and bad things that have happened to people. And an abuse victim, when they're told to forgive, they says, no. Or when they say, well, I would like to kill him, but the problem is I can only kill him once. And I need to kill him again and again. There's no killing that will make you have peace. You need to understand that. 
But when Christ was beaten and bruised, it was because of that. The horror of horrors that people have inflicted on people. And especially in the name of Christ. It had to be terrible. It had to be horrible. He says, I will do this. So that by my stripes you will be healed. So that when you go to the tank and you identify with me, with my pain, you'll come up out of it with my life. This is the hope I have for you. And he had to go through that. And then when he says, I have to go, oh, don't go. He says, if I don't go, you see, Jesus as the man could only be at one place at one time. And he wants to be with every one of us. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to send my spirit. He will be with you and in you, every one of you. No mini Holy Spirit, no. Full measure. That's a disciple. Filled with the spirit. Next point of disciple. The disciple obeys the Father. Jesus says, I do nothing of my own initiative. Not, I can't do anything on my own initiative. You see that? I choose to not do anything of my own initiative. I speak the things as the Father has taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for always do the things that are pleasing to Him. That's the life of a disciple. Jesus talked to His Father every day. As He walked and lived, He prayed and talked. I was riding a motorcycle yesterday with my son. We were in the ride for Dad. Oh, now you have a new identity. I'm a, motor, I'm a, psych, a motorcycle guy. And so there was about 16, 15, 1600 of us cruising down Portage Avenue in our, in our Harleys. Maybe mine wasn't a Harley. But there we were together cruising and, and identified with this group of guys. And the Lord just hit me and he says, the world needs fathers. Everywhere we go, the world needs fathers. God the Father says, I am your father. I am your father. I was at the motorcycle ride, not because I'm a motorcycle guy, but because my son wanted to go. And if he wants me to be a motorcycle guy, I'll be a motorcycle guy. I even have a license that says I can drive that thing. I don't, Jake, why you sold yours? I don't know. But anyway, I'll forgive you. <laughs> the disciple does only the will of the Father. So when, when I come up with ideas, or I hear people talk about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm listening. Is this the Father's idea? Where does this idea come from? Is this a good idea, or is this God's idea? And good is the enemy of best. Good is the enemy of God. This is a good idea. This is a really good... Is it God's idea? Hmm. The disciple of Christ makes sure he's got God's idea. And when you have God's idea and God's plan, you're immovable. They can't get you off that. Okay, number five. The disciple of Jesus Christ is ruled by love. See, our Father loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son to come from heaven to earth to tell us and show us, to tell us of the Father's love and to show us the Father's love. This is what He did. So whoever believes in Him will not perish, but become part of the family of God. Now we're all family members. And then He says, now I want you to go throughout the world and tell the world about the love of the Father and, and show the world the love of the Father. That's what I want you to do. And so in Rwanda, I'm preaching, and, and the kids are outside playing soccer, and I ask the pastor if that's a problem. He says, yeah, they make a noise. They should be in here worshiping because football is sin. Football being soccer is sin. So I says to him, I says, God the Father loves us so much he sent his son to earth to die for us and tell us about his love. And then he told Lynn and me to come from Canada over here to tell you of the Father's love and to show you the Father's love. Surely, you could go across the pitch and tell those kids about the Father's love. And show them the Father's love. And stop judging and condemning them. Take off your pointy shoes and your tie, and you'll be okay. And they like it when we talk that way. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. 
Do we love each other? Do we love each other? Not only that, but you love those who persecute you, who do evil things against you. That's the standard. We love. There's nothing you can do to make us stop loving. Number five, the, number six, pardon me, the disciple is one who fears God, not man. Do not fear man. There's a guy who was playing North American football, and just imagine this. There's whatever, 100,000 people in the stadium playing. There's movies about this. And the sports writers, everybody's interviewing these guys and talking to them. And he sent his dad a ticket to come and watch him play. His dad, who was never there. Never there. His dad, uh, dad, I want you to sit over there in the stands and wear this weird hat so I can find you in the crowd. I'm looking for you, dad. I'm looking for you. So does he care about 150,000 people screaming his name? He's looking to his dad. Whose approval do we want? Everybody's or our father's? At the end of the game, everyone wants to talk to him and tell him how he did. And then he's alone with his dad. What does he want to know from his dad? Are you proud of me, Dad? He doesn't care about everybody else. That's a disciple of Christ. Sometimes I finish preaching and I sit down and Lynn says, how'd that go? I said, I think it was pretty bad. Worst sermon I ever preached. And she says, have you asked the Father? Number seven, he sacrifices himself. Jesus Christ laid down everything. The Apostle John says, He must increase, I must decrease. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number eight, the disciple is one who has no money. Owns nothing. No such thing as my possessions. Jesus' words, He says, So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. All to Jesus I surrender. Except this, 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 or this, this. All to Him I accept this. Who are we? A disciple forgives as Christ forgives. Number nine. How does Christ forgive? Before anybody asks for forgiveness, while they're busy beating Him, He forgave. That's who we are as Christians. We choose to forgive before anybody asks for it. Number 10, the disciple lives in absolute surrender. There's no negotiating, no excuses, nothing. Absolute surrender. We have the hastier, impulsive disciples. I'm with you. I'm going to go with you, Jesus. He says, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, I got nothing. And then most of them left him. Okay, I didn't sign up for that. I want the money, position, title, a lot of things. But that life, the creator of the universe says, I have nothing. He laid it all down. He gave it all away. That's why he has nothing. We have the procrastinating or entangled disciple. He says, let me go bury the dead. He's not talking about somebody who's dead. He's talking about an older person culturally who was about to die, could die in a year or two or three. He says, let me go take care of culturally, do the, th- the normal thing and take care of my family. Jesus says, no. The, the third one is, ir- is ir- irresolute. That's a word. Or wavering disciple. He says, I'm going to follow you. I'm with you. Yes, yes. But I, there's a few people I've got to say goodbye to. Let me just go do that. Jesus comes and says, today, will you be my disciple? And then we say, yes, but. And the but means not today. And Satan will say, yes, yes, yes. This is great. Fantastic. I'm so thrilled. This is so excited. But why don't you do this tomorrow? Not today. And then we say, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. And then Satan will say, you're a good guy. You're a disciple. You're fantastic. You're maturing in the Lord. This is incredible. Tomorrow. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Next slide. Reason like a child. Think like a child. Next slide. Thank you. Think like a child. When I became a man... I did away with childish things. Brothers and sisters, it's time we grow up. 
Christ didn't suffer and die so that we wouldn't have to suffer and die. He says, you have to suffer and die. And I'll be glorified. Whatever your circumstance or situation. And so here's a prayer that we can pray. We can say, dear Jesus, I want you in the center of my life and commit today through your power to serve and obey you. Anytime, anywhere, at any cost to do anything. Matt, can I have some of those things, please? To do anything. Dear Jesus, I want you in the center of my life and commit today through your power to serve and obey you anytime, anywhere, at any cost to do anything. Now, Matt has some things that he's going to hand out to you. Everybody's going to get one now, okay? And the worship team is going to come up so that we're ready for this. Hand them out, Matt. Go for it. Make sure everybody get one. Look at that. It's a little card. And you can... On the back it says that that's, that's what you're going to do. You're going to make this commitment. And it's, it's got a place for a signature and a date. Look at that. Look at that. Isn't that neat? So let's get real, folks. Are you in? If you're in, I encourage you to sign it and date it. And then share it with other people. Let people around you know, this is where I'm at. Put it in your wallet. It'll fit just fine. And when things, the wheels fall off, then you'll open your wallet. Maybe this card will fall out and God will remind you. You said, anywhere, anytime, any circumstance, I'm yours. For your glory. I live for your glory. I breathe for your glory. Everything I have, everything I am is for your glory. Only your glory. Nothing for me, only for you. If you're in, you sign it and date it. And then share it. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Holy Spirit, help us. May we live for the glory of the Lord. Amen. Where would I run to the throne of mercy?